0: If you need a Bible, these fellows will hand you one. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And um, we're not going to finish the book. We'll finish the book next week. Um, But I'm going to take a large portion of it today. So James chapter 5. And we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. So if you'd stand with me. James chapter 5, rich oppressors will be judged. That's the title that, that my Bible gives to it. Verse uh, Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren. Until the coming of the Lord. And see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Interesting text. Let's pray and ask God to give us some wisdom and insight and application. Lord, we do ask exactly that. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you lead us into all truth. You're the Spirit of Christ. You long that we would know the word, we would know the truth, the truth would set us free. We pray, Lord, that as we undertake the study of this passage of James, that we would glean from it all that you'd have for us. And I pray, Lord, our lives would be affected and changed as we apply these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We'll have a seat. Uh, One more thing, Uh, Tuesday, um, I know a lot of you prayed, and uh, we're not going to be on the Huckabee TV show Sunday night, but uh, we will be on his radio broadcast on Tuesday. Um, I think it's going to be 11 o'clock Pacific time, uh, 2 o'clock Eastern time, I think that's right. So, uh, appreciate your prayers, not only uh, for tonight, Sunday night on TRN, but also with the Huckabee show. God's doing great things with all that. All right, now uh, this morning as we're taking a look at James chapter 5, this is one of those passages that you read and you think, wow, God's coming against the rich, and it seems like he does that quite often. But I I do want to say, in relation to the Lord's view of of riches, um, Psalm 112, let me read this to you. Uh, especially if you have savings or you're a trust fund baby or you're getting ready to leave an enormous amount of money to your children or you have received money from your parents or whatever. Let me read this to you. Praise the Lord, Psalm twelve says. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth, listen, wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He's gracious and full of compassion and righteousness. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil things. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved, and he will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. And we we see in Psalm 112, very clearly, for a righteous man, the scripture says, wealth and riches will be in his house. Uh, The Ten Commandments were established for the protection of property because God knew that when you would follow his precepts, you would end up with property. And, and, and this is how the Lord works. The only way that wealth is generated, the only way that wealth is generated uh, is, is like this. If I see Jack there, and, and Jack is a farmer, right? And he's growing wheat, okay? And I'm a baker, and I bake bread. And, and uh, I, I look at, at, at Jack, and he says, um, uh, I've got some wheat for you. And he sells me the wheat. And, and in exchange, I give him money so he can buy more fields, And then with his wheat, I bake bread, and he buys more fields. I sell more of the bread. And here's how wealth is generated. Two people have to be benefited for wealth to be generated. A product and a service has to be exchanged so that something can be generated where both parties walk away, and they're richer for it. That's how wealth is generated. Let me tell you how wealth isn't generated. I come over here to Bob, and Bob has uh, a business. And I go over to Bob, and I say, Okay, Bob, you got a business and I'm going to take half of your profits, and I'm going to give them to Jack. No wealth has been generated. It's been divided. Understand? Now, he's benefited but by the labor of another man, but wealth hasn't been generated. It's just been dispersed. It's been divided. It's, it's distribution. The government never, listen, the government never creates wealth. The government divides wealth. And we'll go through this whole concept later in life. And this is part of the civic discipleship. And some are saying, well, what what are you doing? Where does that have in a Bible study? Everything in life is covered in the Bible. And when the scripture comes to this passage where it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out... And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury, and you've fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter, and you've condemned, you have murdered the just, and God does not resist you. Now, what is James saying? Well, we know by Psalm 112 that God doesn't detest wealth and riches. But we also see in 1 Timothy 6.10 where it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows money is an inanimate object i've always heard it said and i believe that if money is the problem it's not a real problem if money can solve the problem it's not a real problem money is an inanimate object money represents the work of somebody else we put all that into a piece of paper and, or linen or whatever money's made out of. And that represents the labor of another individual. And the worth of it is based on the, uh, uh, the, 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 the uh, wealth being generated by the activities of a community. Now, if you tell me that money will solve the problem, uh, it's, that's not a problem. The issue is the heart. We start to love the linen. We start to love the paper. We start to run after the gold. We start to run after these things that we think will make us happy, and that's not that's not going to make us happy. Money never made anyone happy. So you go, I don't know about that, pastor. If that's the case, then everyone should be a trust fund baby. We shouldn't read any of the tabloids in the checkout stand of the supermarkets. If money made us happy, and and I and I think about the the picture that we see oftentimes, you know, where you're. I, I remember I had a 1970 Cadillac Coupe DeVille, and I was the fourth child, the youngest of four, and it passed down from my father to each of the children. By the time it got to me, this thing was a bucket. Uh, it was, you know, in the in the early 80s, and I'm driving this thing. It's all dinged out, and there's no radio, and it's just, it's a mess. And it just would, you know, shake, and the shocks were bad. And it was, it, I would go off-roading, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, but it was and in and the spinometer and the and the gas meter worked in unison, you know, just suck all the gas. And that was the end of it. And that was my car. And I remember pulling up to a stoplight in this old bucket and it's just smoking and everything. And and this kid pulls up next to me, and he's got an Austin Healy. I was born and raised in Coronado. And this kid pulls up in an Austin Healy, and he's just done the paint job on it. It's sparkling. The kid's in my class, and I'm looking, and I'm just, I'm so envious of him at the time looking at this. And he's got the cutest girl in the school by his side, and it just, I was envious. I was envious. I, I could barely see them through the smoke my car was generating, but I, I would look at them, and I think, man. If I could have his life, if I could have his life. I'm 48 now. I don't want anything to do with his life. I love my life. Not because of the wealth of materials, but the wealth of the presence of the Lord in my life. The joy that is mine to be had. God knew what he was doing. and He would never entrust me with wealth and riches like that. It was Asaph, the psalmist, who wrote, and he said, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance, meaning they're so fat their eyes bulge they have more than they could wish and they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression and they speak loftily and they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth therefore his people return here and waters of of, of of a full cup are drained by them and they say how does God know and is there knowledge in the most high behold these are the ungodly who are always at ease and they increase in riches he's looking at them and he's going God I serve you and I look at them, and they have it easy. And they don't even acknowledge you. And they've got the Bentley, and I'm driving a Vega. God, what is up with that? I got a smoking 73 Cadillac, and he's driving an Austin Healey, and he's got a babe next to him. And they just seem so happy. And in the pictures on the red carpet, I mean, their hair's perfect, and it's just Lovely. And Asaph struggled with that. He struggled at looking at the neighbors and thinking they've got so much and they increase in riches they don't even go to church on Sunday. I remember it was was a missionary come back from 50 years of serving in Africa on the mission field. 50 years serving on the mission field in Africa. He happened to come back on the same boat that Teddy Roosevelt was returning from a safari in Africa. And all the news media came out to take a picture of Teddy Roosevelt. And he says, God, I've served you for 50 years. And there's nobody to greet me when I come home. Yet a man who has lived his life hunting animals and on safari and the, the riches of his life and from, from trust funds and, and wealth, he comes back and the media is out in droves and they're everywhere when he returns home. God, why? Why? And the Lord whispered to the missionary's heart, because you're not home yet. Think about that. Next time you see the Bentley and and the bulging eyes and they seem to be at ease. Don't despise them. Asaph would go on to say at the conclusion, he says. As. A dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me into glory. That's your homecoming, Christian. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And and what he's saying is. I have seen what comes of the wicked. And if this is all they got, Lord, give them more. Would you deny a man a few roses on his casket? Lord, give them a Bentley. I mean, if they're going to deny you and spend an eternity in hell, then let them have everything they can have on this earth. But we as Christians envy them when God has given us everything. You see, money is an inanimate object. James is saying the problem doesn't come with the wealth. The problem comes with the heart. It was David who walked out in 1 Samuel 17. He saw Goliath and then the the comment to him was, anyone who takes down Goliath, he'll have tax-exempt status in Israel. He'll get the king's daughter. He'll be given wealth untold. When Solomon was asked by the Lord, what do you want? Anything. He says, I want wisdom. It's not like he asked for riches and God said, I would have given you anything. I would have given you riches and I I will give you that. I will give you riches. But that you ask for wisdom is what blessed the Lord's heart. Wealth is not bad. What you do with it, meaning do you worship it? And what he's saying is, come now you rich who weep and how miseries are coming upon you. He says, For your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded. I gotta tell you something. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get how a human being can amass so much that they can't use it in their lifetime and they leave it to their children. And then those kids can't even spend it in their lifetime and they leave it to their children and their grandchildren can't even spend it in their lifetime. And they leave it to their great grandchildren. And for tens, hundreds of years, this wealth is sitting there rotting when it could be touching lives. When I die, I'm dying with zero. I'm leaving my children nothing but a faith in the Lord. I had a a person call and say, we just just finished doing uh, our estate planning. I said, oh, and uh, they they said, I just want to let you know that that the bulk of our estate goes to the church. I go, wait, why? You got so many kids. They get less than 5% of the estate. We don't want to ruin them. The money's the Lord's. It needs to go back to him. Oh. And then we think about this idea when James talks about cheating your employees. You know why you cheat your employees? You're cheap. That's why we have unions. Unions are good. Not government unions. Government unions Are not good. But unions have been created because wealth has been created. And those that help create the wealth get a portion of it. And they get together and they say, we have an asset that has created that wealth. And we have an opportunity to receive some of that. And we collectively want to say to you, share it. Because we help build it. In a government union, governments don't create wealth. Thus, a union, when they start to argue for more of it, they're arguing for something we've given them for public service. It's not a commodity. You can't have a government union. Some of you are going, get back to the text. That is a text. But here's the idea. When wealth is generated, when wealth is generated, it's to be done in an equitable manner. That you're dealing with people, and you pay a fair wage, and you give a fair service. And as an owner, or, or a, a businessman, or an employee, what you do, you do is under the Lord. And this is a part that aggravates me as a, as a pastor, and, and I've been getting this feedback. Why are you involved in politics? I, I love what, what, what the scripture points out. When it looks at James and it says that we're to operate in an honest manner. You see, that's community. That's how life works. And and when he's talking about wealth, he's saying, put it into the system. Make it create something. Don't sit on it. Don't hoard it. And we think of these tight economic times and what are businesses doing? They're laying off people and reserving capital. Yes? Yes? And so you're not going to get a loan. Loans aren't going to be able to develop. They're not going to be able to increase. Taxes increase. When taxes increase, uh, that doesn't generate wealth. And so the wealth is just redistributed. And so we look at all of this and we see what James is saying. And I would say as Christians, times are really hard. Times are really hard. And this is a time when we consider cutting back in our giving. And I'm not talking about the church. Church is doing fine. Church is doing fine. And I'll tell you why the church is doing fine. The tougher the economy gets, the more generous we are as a church. Let me let me say that again. The tougher the economy gets, the more generous we are with the church. We just increased all of our mission giving. We just increased all of our benevolence giving. We are it, we, it's a large it's almost the largest budgetary item we possess. And the reason why you know why we increase when times are tough, because we're God's people. This is what the church does. We're used to help, and we need wisdom on how to do that. We don't want to enable, but we want to be a blessing. We want to help. That's the same principle. But what happens when times get tough, if we don't have faith, we start trusting in the money, and we hoard it away, and we sock it away, and we, we, we protect it, and it rots, and the community is not blessed. My wife and I purpose. We just said that let's do it 20%. We've been doing 12%, and this is a year we said, this is going to probably be the worst economy ever. Let's go 20%. I haven't even missed it. I, don't even, I, I haven't missed it. To the contrary, this is probably one of the most blessed years we've ever had. And the realization is, God, you can't give it away. We can't give it away fast enough for you to return it. Stop, I, I can't even begin to tell you the kind of stuff that God's blessed us with. Unbelievable. And James is saying, it's not an issue of being rich. It's an issue of trusting the riches and hoarding them until the moths destroy them. How are you active in the body of Christ? How are you active in the kingdom? How do you operate in your community? How do you operate with your employees and your employer? He says, if if you're concerned and you think that this is your homecoming and this is your life and it's all about the Bentley and your ease and your comfort, instead of engaging and being a disciple and letting God be glorified in every vestige of the community, you're preparing yourself for the day of slaughter. You've condemned, you've murdered the just. God will not resist you. He turns and he says, listen, this is how you're supposed to operate. He says, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. What he's saying is an investment. Invest. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So there's two two things here. One is, if the Lord is going to return today... It seems logical. Why would I plant seeds that are going to take months to grow? Hello? I mean, let's run up the credit card. I mean, the Lord's coming back. We're all forgiven. We'll just preach, you know, salvation messages, get the kids out of hell, get them all into heaven. And because the Lord's coming back tomorrow. But in the same passage, James says, no, look at the farmer. He's got, the, he's got the seed in the field and he's waiting patiently for it. The two go hand in hand. An expectation of the Lord's return, not because it's, it's happening right now, even though it may happen right now, but the idea is what you're doing, you're doing is under the Lord. You're going to give an accounting of it. Keep that in mind. And what you do, you do for his glory. But in the same regard, Jesus said, Luke, occupy until I come. And James is saying, be patient, put the seed in and build the economy. Build the farm. Create the wealth. Build society. Now, I love different eschatologies, and I know that Calvary Chapel is pre-trib and premillennial, millennial and, and we have this idea that Jesus is eminent return. He's got a day planner, and the last thing on it is the rapture. And I'm, I'm all for that. But what comes, there's always a liability, and there's always an asset with every eschatology. Our founding fathers had a reformed theology and their idea was that they had to usher in the second coming of the Lord by establishing his kingdom on earth. So they set up Yale and Harvard and Princeton and and an amazing um, uh, educational system called the Trivium. All of our founding fathers went through that. We saw the first, second, and third great awakening as a result of that education. And then when, when drugs you know, decimated the, the landscape and the sexual revolution came in the 60s and everyone was burned out with church and, and, and all that was happening, along comes Chuck Smith out of a four-square background with the eschatology of pre-trib, pre-millennial and this idea of evangelism. And let's get all these kids into church. Let's just do whatever's necessary. Let's rip up the carpets and, and get metal chairs because the hippies are going to stink it up. And, and church had gotten to a place where they were so you know education-minded education that they, they couldn't tolerate the stench of the hippies. And Chuck and Kay reached out to him. Well, we've been doing that for 50 years, and now we've got the carpet and the nice chairs and all these other things. But for 50 years, we've been getting the kids out because the house is on fire. And that's not to say that we haven't invested in the culture, but here's the point. James is saying, be patient, expect the Lord's return any minute now, but also invest in God's kingdom through righteousness. Do both. Be patient, wait upon the Lord. And he's going to bring the early and the latter rain. Establish your hearts. The coming of the Lord is at hand. But he says this, don't grumble against one another. Lest you be condemned. The judge is standing at the door. And as he goes through all of this, he says, look, look, look at Job. Look at Job. The man lost everything. He comes home one day, he says, your kids are dead, your house is collapsed, uh, all of your livestock has been stolen, and you're broke. Huh? Oh, righteousness knocking at the door? Is she armed? (laughs) I think it's probably the junior hires coming back from camp, not getting it. Where was I? So, uh, Job loses everything to the point where his wife even says, you know, he's covered in boils from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet, and he's scraping his boils with a broken pot shard in the town dump. He went from being the 10th wealthiest man on the earth to having nothing and living in the dump. I'm watching all you guys go, what was it? What was it? Is it all good? The band? <clears throat> yeah. Let's see. Okay, let's get back to the text. What do you say? So he's scraping the boils and he's sitting here and, and he's he's lost everything. His wife even comes up to him, you think they want to give him the greatest compassion. He had to sit through what they call Job's comforters. And each of those were, you know, telling him, This is why it happened to you, because you've got sin in your life. And you know why all this happened to Job? Because he was the most righteous man on the earth. Huh? What? Yeah. He was the most righteous man on the earth. God allowed this to happen to him. His friends couldn't fathom that. Obviously, you're broke and you're poor because you're you're sinful. No, you can be be very righteous and broke. God knows what he's doing. And his wife comes up to him, covered in boils. And she says, curse God and die. (laughs) Lovely woman. And Job said, the Lord giveth. The Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. You see, the point is this. Do you follow God because it fits in the cubicle of your life? And you like the business connections you get at the church? And the guilt that's lifted in your poor business dealings are you different at work than you are in the church because job is saying or god is saying through job he persevered in righteousness whether he had much or he had little he always had his heart before the lord would your heart change if you lost money If your comfort was threatened, would you walk away from the Lord? Would you start cursing and getting angry? Would you lie and finagle and cheat and steal? James is saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. This is an entire picture of a community. Wealth is generated when Jack and I do business together. And I'm going to see him again. And when I tell him yes, he knows my yes counts. And when I tell him no, he knows my no counts. And if I mess with Jack, I'm not going to be doing business with him again. And our community and our relationships are going to be broken down until I ask for his forgiveness or vice versa. You want to see how discipleship's made? It's not made at the federal level or the state level. It's made in our local community. And dealing with each other honestly. And investing in this community locally. Our founding fathers understood it. understood the best form of government was local government. We throw up our hands. We become overwhelmed and we want to quit. And we think, if I just amass wealth for myself and take care of my own and make sure my kids are okay, you've lost. Satan wins. I can't do anything. I, I can't fix this president. I can't fix this state. You are looking at the Goliath, a champion, a giant. David walked out. He didn't see a giant. He didn't see a champion. He saw a Philistine uncircumcised. A reproach and a defier of the armies of Israel. He never called him a giant. He never called him a champion. He never even called him Goliath by name. He walked out and he said, this is wrong and you're going down. And I'm not going to take you down. God is. We think if we have our own little nest egg and we can survive this economic misery, we're going to be all right. And we become cheap and we start to play like the world plays and we start compromising our life. And our yes isn't yes and our no isn't no. And we're just like the world. And whatever you're holding on to thinking it's going to bring you safety, it's rotting. It's rotting. And James declares it. He said, you want to make a difference? You be like the farmer. You plant. and You invest. And you wait. And you do the long term. And you wait for that return on that. You invest in your community. You do what's necessary. I I, want to close with this this last thought. And and this is one that blesses me. I've been reading a book called The Call by Oz Guinness. And there's a couple of things in there that really amaze me. Thomas Aquinas was a Catholic theologian. He talked about two distinct things. He said the the Vita... um, The Vita contemplative, which is the contemplative life versus the Vita active, which is the active life. He said the Vita contemplative was to be cherished more than the Vita active. He said the Vita contemplative was the high calling of the priesthood. Where we would consider the things of God and we would read the scriptures and we would spend time. And it led to monasticism where we had the monks up in the monasteries. And they thought we really want to be pure in the things of God. And and the most noble calling you can have as a human being is to be called into the ministry. And so you're sitting in the seat and you're looking at me going, well, probably not. Let's pick another church, for example. But you're saying, I want to obtain to that position because that's the Christian life. This is not the Christian life. You know why God put me here? The Bible says God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. I can't do anything else. If I were in the world doing what you would do, I would, I would blow it. i got to live in a fishbowl. I'm a captain of a carrier, an aircraft carrier. And I'm on a boat in the middle of the ocean, and you're all the fighter pilots. And you bring these planes in, and I refuel you, and I load you with ammo, and you take it out, and you combat the world. And, and, and when Thomas Aquinas thought that there was a difference between this active life and this contemplative life as though this was more noble, it screwed the church up and screwed up society. It wasn't until the Reformation when Martin Luther came in and he said, I, I love this, he wrote a book called The Estate of Marriage in 1522. Luther declared that God and the angels smile when a man changes a diaper. That was unheard of. William Tyndale wrote, that if our desire is to please God, pouring water, washing dishes, cobbling shoes, preaching the word is all one. William Perkins claimed polishing shoes was a sanctified and holy act. John Milton wrote in Paradise Lost, to know that which before us lies in daily life is the prime wisdom. Bishop Thomas Beckham wrote, our Savior Christ was a carpenter. His apostles were fishermen. Saul, uh, excuse me, the Apostle Paul was a tent maker. And Perkins wrote a treaty Of the vocations or calling of men. He provides a typical Reformation summary. He says. The action of a shepherd in keeping sheep. Performed as I have said in this kind. Is a good work and a work before God. As is the action of a judge in giving sentence. Or a magistrate in ruling. Or a minister in preaching. See what what the Reformation did was this. You're the ministers. And what you do is holy. Holy. Everything you put your hand to is to his glory. And when we think that Christians aren't to be involved in politics, are you kidding me? Christians aren't supposed to be doctors, lawyers, movie makers? Are you kidding me? Says who? The Lord says that whatever you do, you do unto his glory. He's equipped you to do that. You're the fighter pilots. Get out there, get involved in every realm. When the Welsh revival occurred. You know when we talk about repent and be baptized. You know what repentance looks like in a community. When when James chapter 5 takes hold. And we start seeing. That we're to be like farmers investing in a community. And not storing up treasures. Because the end is so near. Yeah the end's near. But Jesus says take heart of the farmer. Occupy until I come. They both work hand in hand. The idea is. When you go to work every day, you're going to work for the glory of the Lord. Do it. And don't do it cheap. And don't do it short term. And don't hoard it because you're afraid. Live every day as though it are your last. Apostle Paul said, if there be no resurrection, I'd be of all men most pitied. Trust the Lord. Lay it out there. Invest in the community. Pour into lives. Don't hoard in fear. Don't do that. You know, when God calls us to this place where we trust Him, especially in a community, that everything we do is a holy act. and We think, well, we're not supposed to be involved in politics. When the Welsh Revivals came, you know where you get the barbershop quartets? There was such revival in the community as they preached the gospel door to door and did honest business dealings, and lives were so transformed that the way they lived, people were convicted by these Christians whose lives were lived for the glory of God, that it it took root in all of Wales. Barbershop quartets occurred because police officers didn't have anything to do anymore because crime was gone. So they began singing. That's where Barbershop Quartet came from. They had an enormous increase in bankruptcies in Wales. You know why? Because all the bars shut down. They had to retrain the pack animals in the mines because they wouldn't operate on commands with expletives that that didn't contain expletives. That's called a change of culture. It means that doctors... Do what they do to the glory of the Lord. And medicine is perfected to his righteousness. Government service. Lawyers. Your work is holy. This is what James intended for the community. Quit worrying about fear and hoarding your money. Step in to this world. You're the fighter pilots. I just fueled you up. You got ammo. Now go out and declare the glory of the Lord in all your business dealings. And everything you do, you do is under the glory of the Lord. That is your noble calling in life. That is the glory to God. He's equipped you for this. Don't despise it. Get into it. And do it with joy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And we thank you for this early service. And Lord, I ask that you would just encourage the body of Christ Through this high and noble calling that is ours to be had as children of the living God. Lord, we don't want to oppress. We don't want to love riches. We don't want to trust in gold that corrodes. We don't want it to be a witness against us. Lord, we want to be honest with our, our laborers, our employees, our employers. We want our yes to be yes, our no to be no. Lord, we want to be patient like the farmer. Investing where it needs to happen. We don't want to grumble and complain when things get tough. You haven't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Lord, when things get tough, we step it up. That's when you work the best. Lord, just like Job, no matter what comes, we're going to praise you. We want to be men and women of integrity and those that honor the living God God thank you for this passage I pray your encouragement upon this body of believers and we thank you for this day in Jesus name amen let's stand and close with the song of worship